All right. Here we go. All right. We're here with Cozy. Oh, God. It's so hot. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Welcome to the Foreign Or Podcast. A look into the lives of expats, migrants, aliens, and everything in between. Each episode, I pick one of foreigner and cross-examine that individual to try and determine if they're really all that different. This episode, I trapped the multi-talented, multilingual Sophie Ong in a hotbox of a homemade studio and talked transitions. My name is Zovi. Um, I'm a French illustrator, but I live in Shanghai in China, and I am a foreigner. Drink. We should turn this into a drinking game. Every time we say foreigner. <laughs> yes. So where are you from in France? Well, I was born in Lyon, but I don't really remember that. I grew up in Grenoble. Grenoble? Not Chernobyl. Grenoble! Grenoble, which is, yeah, it's the capital of the French Alps. In 6 to 17, I went to a primary school where I learned German. My, my parents always kind of put us in schools where we would learn some kind of language and my sisters learned English because we were in Lyon at that time but then we moved to Grenoble and then in Grenoble it was like oh there's so many people in the English section we're just going to teach you two or three words of German and you'll just do that and we don't know what you're going to do with it I actually didn't really do anything with German I liked it but then now I speak Chinese much better than I speak German when did you start learning German when I was six and then I did all the way to A-levels. I did A-levels in French, and I did A-levels also in German. So that's how good it was. I mean, it was really good. And I really enjoyed speaking it, as weird as it sounds, but I really liked it. And A-levels is what? Well, A-levels is, that's how you call the baccalauréat, no? The, like, high school, end of high school, right? That's an American thing, no? How do you we call don't it? have A-levels. What do you call it? Um, High in school language? graduation? Yeah, absolutely. It's very straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Okay. <laughs> well, we call it baccalauréat, but I, I think I, I guessed you wouldn't get that. <laughs> cool. Okay, so you were a baby, and then you grew up to a teen, and you spoke two languages at that point, and then I left because I wanted to learn Chinese, so I went for a gap year. <laughs> I hate this question, but why China? Mm. Well, yeah, my dad is originally from Chinese origin, but he was he was born in Cambodia. So it's like Asian, like mixed background, but we I never really know, I, I never really knew anything about it because he wouldn't talk about it and the rest of my Chinese family wouldn't really talk about it. And it being China or? Kind of all of it, like Cambodia and the war. And then I, I actually, even now, I don't really know who went from China to Cambodia in my family? I still don't really know. I don't think it was my grandparents. I think it was before. Maybe my great-grandparents. I don't know. But I just knew that we were from this like place called Chaozhou, which is somewhere in Guang Guangdong. And then they have this dialect that is not Chinese. And that would really piss off my mom because my mom, for some reason, really liked China when she was young. And that's why she met my dad. And you know she learned a bit of Mandarin. But then they were all speaking dialects, <laughs> so she would, she, yeah, she would, she would, uh, she would get a bit pissed when they speak dialect. But and where did your parents meet? They met in Paris. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I think my mom had like this friend who introduced her to like 15 Chinese boys. But of course, my dad was like the 16th that wasn't even invited. But like, I don't know what happened after it's X-rated. And <laughs> Where is your mom from? My mom's from Brittany. So she's from the north of France. Um, what does she look like? Like a Briton. <laughs> what does like, that look like? Well, blonde with blue eyes and a lot of butter. <laughs> And yeah, it, it, she was considered like a weirdo because she liked China so much. So your parents met in Paris? Yeah. And then she went to China? No, no, she didn't go to China. They went to like travel, but she never lived in China. So why was she obsessed with China? That's the really weird thing. She actually told me a little bit about it. I think she was first uh, kind of interested in the spirituality. She Actually, she got introduced by like Christians, you know, because they have this kind of tradition of like missionaries and and so she got introduced to that and then she got into the language and everything and i've already told you about the story of my great great uncle i have a britain great great uncle who went to china from 1916 to 1948 so he was a missionary but she never knew about it she just liked china and she wasn't interested in all that aspect but she discovered that story much, much later. My grandpa never told her, which is so weird. I don't know why he didn't tell her. And when, he would just be like, why do you like China so much? And like, he, he, t he told her one day, like, I thought that girls were supposed to be attracted by like guys who look like their dad. And, you know, my dad is obviously everything he's not. And then one day he just pulls out a pile of letters that are written by that great, great uncle and that are an amazing legacy about China at the time. Because China at that time, I can't ask my Chinese family about that time. But I got kind of a really amazing storytelling from, well, a language I can understand, which is French. And like amazing letters. The guy took pictures. It was, she, he was in the middle of Yunnan. And, and my mom, for the longest time, was like, you need to read this because you live in Chongqing, which is like very close to where he was. And, you know, as you never listen to what your mom says, I was just like, yeah, whatever, like uh, that old stuff. And then she actually visited me in Chongqing one day and I was like, OK, I guess I'll look at it. And then I was like, oh, my God, he's like actually talking about Chongqing and he's like talking about all these places and about basically the same people that I'm hanging out with. So I I kind of went on his traces like through like Vietnam, Yunnan and uh it was difficult because the way that they used to write names was like the old, it's not pinyin, you know what I mean? It's like a lot of K's and like, so it was very hard to find the place that he was talking about, but I had pictures. So I found the place, I found the city in, it's Sichang. And uh, so it's between uh, Sichuan and Yunnan. And then I found the church that's, it's still there. They rebuilt it. And then I went in and I saw all these old Chinese people and I showed them the pictures and, you know, some of them were like, oh, yeah, like, well, I mean, obviously I was like, look, it's him. He has a beard and glasses. And he, they were like, yeah, but they were all like this, you know, <laughs> all the pictures are like black and white anyway. Just like a random white dude. They all look they, the same. They, they all, all have the missionaries. Yeah, they, they really look similar. <laughs> but so I actually it's good that he had some ways to describe him. It's like first he was the only dude who took pictures in the whole county like he has amazing pictures because he would take pictures for like prison or the mayor or like brick families he has amazing pictures and yeah it was really emotional to talk to these old Chinese people I don't know if they're still alive they were so old and so little like so short and they really went through like rough times as Christians you know 
Um, but they still have so much faith. It's It was amazing. Like, And they asked me about my faith and I was like, well, I'm just here to like draw a comic. <laughs> but yeah, it's an amazing story and I do want to make it into a comic book one day. Awesome. Okay, so now um, baby Sophie is 17 and she chose China. Like I had started learning Chinese a little bit. Like, I mean, half of it was like being forced to go to Saturday classes and never going. And um, But another part was just, I really didn't know what to do. And, you know, we were talking about like studies just before, like I didn't want to just go into something like random. I mean, I wanted to go into something random, but like as a random thing, like as a gap year, you know. But I mean, I didn't want to just like go travel. So I wanted to still have like a goal and, and speaking Chinese I wanted to speak Chinese and, you know, we would always tell my dad, like, why didn't you speak Chinese to us? I asked you for so long to teach me Chinese. Well, now I'm going to do it by myself. And I mean, it's not true. He helped me a lot, but... Um, Your dad. Yeah, I mean, he helped me kind of, like, figure out how to go. I went to Suzhou because I couldn't go to Shanghai because um, I was 17. They wouldn't accept uh, people under, uh, under 18, which was, I think, great. I mean, I'm so happy I didn't stay in Shanghai because my progress in Chinese was really fast. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was such a an amazing year. Um, I arrived there. I was not living on campus. I was living by myself for the first time. Um, I was in a class with like a lot of Koreans and Japanese, so we couldn't speak English. Like we were just speaking our broken Chinese and like using the, that, like the, the lines from the fucking TV show we were studying from, which I still have in mind because they're like engraved there, you know, but... Because that's the only thing you could say for like the first two months. Exactly. <laughs> so the, like the kind of this and then also Sujo and like the canals and me just, I was really just writing characters all day. I had this goal of, you know, I would learn some vocabulary in the morning because, you know, it's like this like morning class, afternoon is free. And the afternoon, I literally picked like, you know, five characters and I was like, I have to use this today. Like, I just had to find a situation to use like fucking shrimp, you know, <laughs> or, you know, I would go to a restaurant and I would like force myself to order. I don't know the characters of. And it happened to me twice that I ordered this thing like, you know, the small snails. Oh god! <laughs> because you know these like characters are like really like complicated I'm like ah oh, this one and then I get a full plate of it and I'm like um I'm just not gonna eat it. I'll pay for it but I can't I'm French but I am not that French yeah and I ordered it twice <laughs> <laughs> what language do you swear in most well just the language that the person in front of me doesn't speak <laughs> oh. it, it works like a charm you should try it <laughs> There's a gap in my knowledge. So if you were 6 to 17 in France studying German, how did you come upon this lovely language we call English? Well, in Lyon, there is a kindergarten where you're like learning English. I mean, you're not really learning because it's kindergarten. But I remember that I think it was something amazing. Like, I think we had like one week of only English speaking. And then one week of like, just like French and, but I remember like watching like animation in English and like, oh, <laughs> I have this horrible, <laughs> like we played um, like mini plays and we did Cinderella and I was one of the mean sisters with a fake ass. <laughs> I still remember having a fake ass in my <laughs> dress and I was, I was four. 
I don't understand how they could let this happen, but I can just imagine myself like, what did the other sister have? Probably another fake eye, <laughs> fake boobs. Who knows? Did you also have a mustache? I always thought that those sisters should yeah. both have like facial hair. Totally, mean sisters deserve facial hair. But it was a great, great school, and I don't know how, but like. Basically, I also have tapes of my dad filming me when I'm like less than five. And I'm, you know, I'm like, makes the pancakes. Or, like I'm singing. And I also, I, at that time, I thought that when you look through the camera, you film. But when you don't, it doesn't film. So I'm like, dad, look in the camera. And he's like, mm -mm. <laughs> And I had an amazing British accent at the time. And then it all went away. But English, I mean, the language itself kind of stayed. I didn't speak English from the age of five to like 12 because I, I had to wait until like middle school until I started again and I could just speak it you know it's I mean I, I no I, I don't know I don't know how that fluent, works with <laughs> but it was it was there you know I just it was it, it, I think it's really powerful what you teach to your kid before the age of like four you know or three it's and then I did an, an exchange in uh, Australia for like three months I went to like Methodist ladies college and I had this like uniform and I went to rallies and I, it was a girl school it was a lot of things happened that summer <laughs> <laughs> and when was that how old were you I was four, 14 maybe oh my. okay so China was not your first time abroad I, I, I'm assuming did you travel outside of France before you went to China yeah, I mean, even when I was in primary school, I would go to Germany because I was learning German. I, I think these were like really form forming because I still remember that it was at that time I was little and it was a it was a lot. I would you know get sick and everything, and but then you you learn that this is normal and like it's normal to have diarrhea when you're away from home for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what it is. Every time I leave this house, I just shake my pants. Basically. Oh god! Oh man! But you know, when you learn it young, then you you know you it doesn't happen to you when you grow up. Um, yeah, I was pretty lucky that I I never really had stomach issues ever. Mm. My second like experience abroad was in China. My first was in Mexico, so. Both of those could have been really bad. Yes, yes, yes. You can't be too fragile. Especially when you like have never left the Midwest. So types of food, where the food comes from, where the water comes from. Mm. And I don't remember being particularly careful in either respect. But yeah. um, it really depends on people. Like it's so it's I think this thing is about learning about how you react, you know, and we're in New York now. And uh, when I came and <laughs> you shit your pants <laughs> just at the border <laughs> but I'm <laughs> just to distract attention from the fact that I'm illegal <laughs> oh, now we're in Suzhou you're with a bunch of Japanese and Koreans for how, how long how long were you there all together I stayed one year and then I was like, I want to stay here forever. Or like, I just want to stay away from my life in Grenoble. You know, I just really didn't want to go back. But my mom was like, well, you need to get a, some kind of degree. Um, and then I was like, okay, but I just want to find something that sends me back to China. And most of the degrees would be like two years in France and one year in China. 
and I would kind of probably be with, you know, all these like sinophiles. <laughs> and I was like, mm, okay. I mean, I know why I am interested in China. It's, I think for me at that point, it was really a deep calling, you know. So, I mean, I didn't understand why other people were like so nerdy about it, you know. They were just like so nerdy about it. And I was like, okay, I, I know I'm not into this, you know. Calm down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They all have this thing in common, right? Anyways, I was just looking into it. I was going to do it. I was going to go to like this like Asian studies place in Paris. But then my my father found out that there was a, a program opening in Grenoble out of all the places that was actually one year and a half only in France and one year and a half in China. So actually it would still kind of make sense because I would spend less time in France. I just wanted to spend as little time my parents were getting divorced and everything. I don't know. I just really didn't want to stay in France. So I stayed one year and a half. I did, it was like business administration, accounting and Chinese. And because I already had a fair level of Chinese, I didn't really need to go to class. So I had like very little hours and I had like five side jobs. I like sold bras and I sold sushis <laughs> and then I worked in at the same place bars. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> this was all one building. <laughs> exactly. Pretty much. Okay. And then I know that you went to dun, 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 everybody's new favorite place in China, Chongqing. Yeah. I love Chongqing. It was random though. Like, I mean, that program between Grenoble and Chongqing, like... Is it still in existence? No. <laughs> There's just two years. Us, another one, and and we were literally, like, put into the nature over there. Like, there was, like... I don't think I've received my Chinese degree. I've <laughs> received only the French one. But, I mean, as Chongqing is an amazing place, especially because I already spoke Chinese. I, I, I could express myself, but I didn't... I, have, I hadn't met, like, friends. Because in Suzhou, people don't really go out. It's a very, like, quiet city. It's very conservative and quiet. But, like, Chongqing is the whole opposite. And I made so many friends and I was already ready to speak, which was, like, really a blessing. I remember arriving in Chongqing and Chongqing is very cinematic. Yes. It's got the best landscape. It's beautiful. It's darkly beautiful, but it's... It's dirtily beautiful. Yeah. And the first thing I did when I arrived is I rode all subway lines to the end wow. with my camera. <gasps> and I would just like, because, you know, some places are just like so insane. Like they have these like high bridges with like literally just villages under. And I would just go down and like look and take pictures and draw. And I did this in the first week I arrived. So, I mean, I could navigate it very fast. So basically Chongqing is like this one river that goes into two rivers. Right. And so the, the island in the middle of the two rivers is like Jiefang Bay. Yeah. And so it used to be like an like the old port kind of like kind of like people just like seeing karaoke over there mm -hmm. with like old, you know, tourist boats. And what what about the subway? Are there more line stops since you first explored Chongqing? Probably. I don't know. I haven't been back in a while. But I know they still have the ones I like, the ones that cross the river. And the ones that like, you know, go really next to the mountain like this. Or go through like the houses. Yeah. Those yeah. are crazy. Like right under yeah. the homes. Yeah. And like how you navigate the city. Like sometimes you don't need to take the subway. You just take elevators and stairs. Yeah. Well, that's another thing when you map out if you're going from point A to point B, you also have to factor in like how high exactly. or low you're going because it might be another 10 minutes of getting up or down. Yeah 
to street level. You enter a building and it's like the 11th floor. Right. <laughs> Literally. The way that I describe it to people that have that reference is that it's like Hong Kong, but it's not as colorful. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's very gray. Yeah, yeah it's like Hong Kong, but, but it's in... It's also much spicier. Grayscale. Yeah. And, uh, they call it Xiao Xiao Gang. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they Makes do, sense. like, because of the rivers and the buildings and, like, at night. Because mm. then there's no colors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're very proud of the city at night. <laughs> <laughs> there's a... Is it a smog or is it fog that is constantly over the city? So that means there's how many days of sunlight? Yeah, it's true that even... And I, it's really not just pollution. It's also just humidity. It's so humid. I, I remember one day like being in my room and wanting to go eat something and opening the door, like literally feeling like I'm going to go into a sauna and then closing the door and just wanting to cry, you know? <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to go eat. <laughs> not worth it. I definitely experienced that in Chengdu. And it does affect your waking hours, like the way of that you, you put your energy. Like I noticed that when I'm in a place with clean air, that I wake up and I'm like, I want to be up. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I want to be up. I want to be outside. I want to put on sunglasses because you know what? I can see the sun. It's I like know. a clear body in the sky. Whereas Chengdu, you look up at the sky this and- you could maybe see like a gathering of light yeah. that was struggling, <laughs> struggling to get through all the haze. Sometimes you're like, oh, there's a, a different, like another shade of gray. But yeah. It's just a cloud over a cloud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really love Chongqing. So you were there and were there a lot of Japanese, Koreans? Like who was in that program? Well, it was seven of us <laughs> in the in the program. It really sounds like a scam. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think actually yeah, people in my, my degree. People, yeah. people, no, no, no. I have the French degree. It's just the Chinese one. I don't know. I think the people who are who were in my degree, they're doing pretty well, and we have very experiences, very different experiences from this because they were kind of doing what I did in Suzhou, which is like just go out a lot and a lot, and they were going out like crazy. And I wanted to 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 meet people who really enjoyed what they were doing. And I, that's when I also started kind of meeting like illustrators or musicians and seeing how they did it. And yeah, I, I think that's something that I found in Suzhou versus, um, uh, no, found in Chongqing versus Suzhou is like in Suzhou, because it's so conservative, I met a lot of people who had a lot of pressure or yeah, they were just kind of continuing something and they had to. But in Chongqing, I felt like people were just like, yeah, hey, I'm just going to do this and like get into this. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. What yeah. about those people that we went to go visit that live in like trash house on the mountaintop? I mean, like treasure house, treasure oh, trash. Oh my God. Such yes. a crazy place. They are so amazing. Which it's so not amazing. really on the map and like does not look like it's legal, but somehow they have power and water, right? Yeah, yeah, because they were turning abandoned houses into hostels. You remember that we stayed there. I stayed there with my sister. It and we this, cooked. Yeah, we cooked. Yeah, I didn't say that I think we went back. Yeah. But like we slept in that place that was going to be a hostel, but that wasn't yet. So no one had stayed there before. And it was beautiful by day, but it was so creepy at night. There was a tree in the room. Yes, I remember. Which looked great, but like when you're sleeping in it, it was really weird. There was a TV with an aquarium inside. Yes. Which, same thing. It's beautiful, but like, you know, that blue line that's just like kind of moving out there. And then there was dogs on that mountain that were just like barking to death. 
we had a terrible night. Really? <laughs> But, I mean, we had a beautiful evening and I love those people. And I think the guy, yeah, they're still doing kind of like side trends festivals in Yunnan. So, when I was a student in China, I would get three questions most often. Do you have a boyfriend? Do you like Chinese boys? And do you want a Chinese boyfriend? <laughs> I think my, the first question I get is like, are you Russian? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that's definitely for, then, for both of us. Yeah. And then the second one is like, are you from Xinjiang? <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, I do get the boyfriend thing. Um, I, I usually tell them, but if I had a Chinese boyfriend, my Chinese wouldn't be so good because we would probably be speaking English. <laughs> true, it's true. It's so true. They always think, oh, it's the best way. And I'm like, no. <laughs> What are some of the misconceptions about a French in China? So you talk to a Chinese person and you tell them that you're Faguaran. And then they say... So romantic. I think Americans say that too. <laughs> But yeah, Americans and then they just like, they often name the president. <laughs> they are very like, they follow up on that stuff. The Chinese? Yeah. They usually say like, oh, friends in China are good friends. And then, I don't know, they usually, I think that's just every foreigner, they just ask me if I'm a teacher. And then I say, no, I'm an illustrator. And they're like, oh. Uh, like, I mean, I say, Like, they're mm. like, and then they're like, oh, what do you do? Like, what do you, oh, are you an oil painter? And I'm like, no, I do comics. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you're unemployed. <laughs> yeah, basically. But I think I would get that in a lot of countries, honestly, yeah. like not just China. <laughs> But what about, so we went to Suzhou and then we went to Chongqing. And then did you do another stint in Suzhou? I did actually, that's true. I almost forgot about it, but because I had my HSK5 at that moment and I was like, I want my HSK6, you know, and I'm going to go to back to Suzhou for like a semester. That's what you did. Okay. Yeah. I went back. It was kind of like weird because it was kind of going back to, and it hadn't changed, you know, it's like same. Um, and I was very disappointed about HSK6 because I was, I thought that my Chinese would actually get better, but what got better is just my ability to diagonal read into exams which means you know exactly what they're going to ask you so you're like picking up the words and then you so i got hsk6 and then i moved to shanghai and i was like i'm gonna work and uh, i became a marketing manager for a media company um what was it called enjoy shanghai yeah and it was r.i.p no i don't know it's just a zombie <laughs> it, it was already a zombie but someone was trying to revive it oh god i had no idea and I, i i just entered this company that was had been a joke so like basically clients had been paying for a service that they never got and i arrived and i was like do you want to pay for another year because this time we're gonna do something and people were just <laughs> like oh my god this is the year and i thought that this was working life i thought that this was and i was like how can it be so terrible is this what it means to to you know to work and to do this i mean by that time how old were you when you went to shanghai when you came to shanghai maybe 21 20 no 21 22 oh, I and i was also a manager which is i realized i don't like that yeah. but that's because you had really good chinese and because you're good with people <laughs> and because this woman decided that that you were pretty green <laughs> i'm like you would do anything i wasn't ready for that leadership and I learned a lot, 
And then I quit and I went into freelance because I was like, I'm going to try to make myself happy. And like, I'm going to answer my calling, go into illustration. And if it doesn't work out, at least I won't be bitter about having not tried. Because I think that's something I see in people who, who didn't even try. Well, then they just get bitter at themselves later on in, in life also, you know. But so I gave myself a three months kind of timeline. And, and at that point, uh, you left Enjoy Shanghai and you did not have a visa? So I was very lucky. I had a business visa through my father's company. So I was helping him like part time with his wine business. And then on the side, I was kind of discovering all the Adobe suite and, you know, making flyers and learning all that and just drawing like I was learning that you don't need to invest that much money. Um, you can also buy a graphic tablet. It's not expensive. Like for me, it was a discovery. I thought it was going to be so expensive. And then I realized it's not. So I learned a lot with friends and with experience. And then I came across graphic recording. I was doing a lot of illustration. But then like I did one year freelance or one year and a half where I was doing illustration. And graphic recording is like... Actually, I had never heard of it. Um, someone kind of told me that I, they needed a graphic recorder and they, they would work with people from abroad and it was really expensive. And so they were like, why don't you try? You can speak many languages and you've got good interpersonal skills. So you're just going to sit here and draw what we say. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I would... I would Sounds go- like what I do normally. <laughs> yeah, kind of. And I would go to a lot of events also just by myself, like for free and like barter kind of and I really enjoyed like learn you know you go to all these events you learn a lot and then you're also offering something in return and then like I would I remember my first big contract was with Intel Mm -hmm. and at that moment I was when they called me I was in Yunnan with a friend from Grenoble who like came to visit me and we were in the Tiger Leaping Gorge literally like on top of it you know and then they call me and and they're like we're gonna fly you to Beijing and I'm like okay and I look at my friend and he's like from (laughs) here yeah and like we went I went to like Lijiang or Dali no I went to Lijiang and I took a plane I was like sorry dude but I really have to go oh wow so you cut out on your friend I did but actually he had a great time in Dali by himself he was great yeah I I think it was good because he spent some time with me I taught him a little bit of Chinese and then he had his like like and he survived he was great he was great Shout out to Julien. <laughs> he was great. <laughs> so it was it was really interesting. And then from from there on, you know, I, I kind of got more into like the tech, because uh, tech people get what I do. You know, they understand because they're they're all about new things. So they see that new thing and they like oh, they see the value right away. So I did it for the French tech, which is like a kind of collective of like French tech people. And then my to be boss uh, is the founder of the French tech. And he had a company doing mascots, uh, kind of focusing on like brand IPs. And he contacted me one day and he was like, oh, yeah, like maybe one day you'll like put me in touch in, with like Chinese illustrators if I need. I'm like, yeah, sure. And like months later, he just sends me a QR code like just that. He doesn't say anything. I, I open it and I get on a like English website, which is not his company that says like we're hiring a cartoon illustrator. So I'm like, great. He just forwarded it to me. This is great. I'm going to apply right away. It looks amazing. And then he got back to me a couple of days later, like, oh, so you applied. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's you. <laughs> and then we we're like, maybe this can work. <laughs> and then I worked 
with him making weekly comic strips of Tutski, which is a, like the first Chinese WeChat sticker. It's a it's, very popular. It's a IP. yeah. It's like a it's like a childhood favorite. It's on of, Facebook too. Of you know? the adults in China. Mm. <laughs> Tutski was like the ambassador of the WeChat world when it first came out, and it had little dances. Yeah, I remember that. Do the little shoulder dance. Exactly, the happy birthday one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they really branched out. And what you did was you created this whole world with Tutski and his carrot friend. <laughs> yes. Yeah, actually, he has a whole world going on. But, and did, yeah. and who did that? Who created, like, the the universe of Tutski? So it's her name is Wang Momo, and she's a Chinese illustrator. And there's a whole story because she, she published some books, but uh, Tutski is an IP, and it was bought by Turner. Turner wow. that has Adventure Time and... Help of girls wow. and everything. So then she sold it to them. At the beginning, she was working with them, and then she just sold it to them. She's very rich now. She lives in LA, I think. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> and I think she does other things. But so yeah, it was like a mix of having to work with what she had created, and like. But then it was very impersonal because they were so careful about everything. They, you know, you know, I couldn't put anything in there. Like I remember my very very first comic that I was just doing as a trial. It was for. Uh, like the mm. moon festival and I imagined that Tutski because there's the story of the rabbit on the moon right right right, right. So I imagined that he goes on the moon and that he goes to the dark side of the moon and that he finds a dark Tutski who is just like living in his garage and just drinking beer and smoking <laughs> cigarettes and then Tutski arrives and you know he's like oh what's going on and then they go like skating in the moon craters <gasps> and it was such a great story like I really loved it but then they were like no beers, no cigarettes. Like, How do you just... make Tutski bad, though? Then he's going to be... Oh, okay. yeah. It's very t- tricky because you can't move his eyes, you can't right. move his ears, but right. you can make him fat. You can make him fat. Yeah, you're allowed to do that. So these, and... th- there are the guidelines that were set forth by the, yeah. by the IP. Oh, and... yeah. Oh, yeah. So you chased this dream of drawing f- on the daily... Yeah, it was you... my first illustrator job. Yeah, and you are self-taught. Yeah. And now what are you doing? So when I was working at Tutski, I was also freelancing on the side and still doing graphic recording. And then Ernst and Young contacted me and like they hired me for freelance. And they were like, yeah, we're EY. And I was like, hmm? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, no. English first is the, is the English uh, learning like conglomerate that has a lot of bad press lately. I but mean, like they are a big company too. But like sure. EY is like another kind of big company, absolutely, you know? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And they really they laughed at the fact that I didn't know them, you know. I I learned a lot about all of the consulting companies from being in Shanghai. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them, and they have they're like all this. There. They I, all have innovation centers, like the one I work. Really? At. Yeah. And they're I and mean, they're we're the fanciest. I, <laughs> I learned all of the acronyms. Yes, 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 <laughs> when yes, I like yes. rocked up and I was like, you consult what? <laughs> like, come on. Um, yeah. So when I joined as a freelancer, they were just opening. And, you know, they I think they made a lot of research to find the whole team, actually. So I was like, mm, I've got a pretty comfortable job doing my rabbit thing. So like, why would I go there? <laughs> And then I was like, yes, but I'm also pretty bored, so maybe I'll go there. But then I was like, I can't go there full time. I'm going to go crazy with all these accountants everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah, all these nerdy people being like, ah, I know. It's just like, yeah, it was so different. I was like, 
I don't fit in, but I'm willing to explore it. So I asked for part-time and well, they took it. <laughs> <laughs> and so what I've been doing for a year and a half now is doing graphic recording for UI Wave Space Shanghai. Basically what I do is a mix of illustration and infographics live during events, conferences, summits, workshops. Uh, so graphic recording, graphic facilitation, and then our team is mainly about facilitation. So now it's a kind of a big thing, but in China, it's still kind of a new wave, you know. So when you go into the office, um, there are these events, and you sit down with your pad. Yeah, with my iPad. Because you're not doing marker whiteboard I do anymore. Sometimes, but that's because in UI in WebSpace, we're like very very digital. Like, I mean, it's cool. They don't see me. They just see this, like, weird girl, like, drawing in the corner. And then at the end of the day, bam, you just, like, flash this huge comic of what has been said during the whole day. And they're just like, that's awesome. And then you put a little QR code for them to, like, scan the high-res picture. And, like, this is a cherry on top. (laughs) That's so awesome. So what you create for these things are normally output the day of? Oh, yeah, like literally I have to time it very well. Like I have to see when it's going to be like the closing and then I have to like put it on the server so they can project on the big big screen. And so when you're there, how many languages are being spoken in the room? Uh, Mainly Chinese and English. When I joined, my boss was like, yeah, there's a lot of French people. I was like, I don't care. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Not a lot of French spoken there, but I did go to the Wave Space Paris also because, yeah, they have these everywhere. I did go to the one in New York also. I mean, that's also why my Chinese has been kind of putting up because when I have to write in Chinese and it's super technical, it's about like supply chain and blockchain and artificial intelligence and like... It's very challenging. So when you say there's a presentation in Chinese, do you have like a like hidden notepad where you like scribble down the opinion and you're like, gotta look up what the fuck that means? Yeah, but I don't need a notepad because I have an iPad. So I can just like write it on a layer and then hide it. Okay, okay. <laughs> and I also always need like a proofreader for the Chinese because there's always going to be like stupid mistakes somewhere. Um, what's the most challenging thing that you've come across for this job because I'm assuming that this is probably one of the most dynamic I'm the only illustrator of the whole company so a lot of people come up to me like can you draw my portrait <laughs> well but this is this doesn't make me angry I'm just like whatever um, but then... <laughs> I'm not that fat that's not how my nose oh, looks this happens all the time they're like more hair more hair <laughs> Yes, I'm very good at beautifying them now. <laughs> I got so much better. I used to caricature them. Yeah, they yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. That's not what people mean when they do <laughs> a portrait. No, 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 no. I want to, you know, like that fit, that Instagram app that makes me look like a celebrity. Yeah, two, Bigger two, eyes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, this is how I see you. <laughs> but uh, actually, I think... I walked in more like as an alien. I felt like an alien. I felt like everybody was an alien. So I was like, whatever they say to me, I don't understand. So it's okay. I wasn't angry, you know. But then with, I think with my, more with my closer team, it was hard because um, it was a reflection of, well, you know, with shaving, I have to work with a lot of artists and it's so frustrating to work with artists. You know, there's so much ego going on and whatever. And then I realized that I was reacting this way with my colleagues. Like I was, I would put so much of me in things and then they would be like, yeah, but this, like, you need to change all this. And I was like, oh, 
So I had to really learn to tailor my process for me to be able to take in uh, criticism and to grow. Yeah, like the branding of EY is very strong and it's very limited. Like it's very like yellow and gray and, you know, and like squares and stuff. And they were like, no, we can't put this in. And then they found a place for me very much more in like the marketing side. They post my stuff on the WeChat like global account. Mm -hmm. And it's also because I made it possible for us to work together. Like I make it very like lean. You know, I, I don't put too much of myself at first. I tell them to give me a lot of feedback. Then I work a little bit more and then, you know. So I had to really learn about, about that. Outside of your main hustle, getting paid to draw cartoons. <laughs> Sophie's side hustle is also drawing cartoons. <laughs> More specifically, creating and like continuously creating a zine called Shaving in the Dark, which is amazing from the birth to what it is now. It really, like there's nothing else like it. They, there is other zines. There is like liter, literary zines, poetry zines, but we do comics and I'm very strong about this. Like I don't want it to be like an art collective. I want it to be illustration and comics um, because I think that's what brings the fun into storytelling as, as we do. And poop. <laughs> a lot of poop. A lot of, a lot poop. of animated poop. Well, we couldn't... At the beginning, I wanted it to be a lot of dicks and boobs. But I just... <laughs> Don't we poop. all? I only kept the poop. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's grown It's grown a lot. Um, issue 10 soon. So how did it start? Remind me. Well, it's when I started my Tutski. I was free. I had been freelancing for a year and a half. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm going to sell my soul. <laughs> like I was posting a lot of comics of my own. And then I was like, I'm not going to have any other place to do that. And actually, there is no place like this. And all the magazines are either super fancy or not fun. And I was like, can't we just make something in between? And my friend was like, yeah, do it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I just made it WeChat group. <laughs> yes, pretty much. <laughs> and I mean, this all happened really fast. Like I made a group chat and then I added like, I think there was like maybe 20 people in the group chat. At first we met at Daga on Fusing Road and we were like, I just asked everybody what they would like to do. And everybody was, it was so funny. Everyone was like, I just want a deadline. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> like they just wanted like a constraint to draw, you know? It's amazing. It's amazing how I want that. Like as a freelancer and somebody that's freelanced for so long, it's really refreshing just to have somebody tell you what to do. Because I'm sure, as all of them know, staring at a blank sheet of paper and then trying to figure out not only what to start drawing, but also where to put it and who to make it for and like how to continue it so that it's meaningful is something that I don't think a lot of people really have the vision to do. And maybe at that point you might not have either, but it started with, it all started with a deadline. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't really expecting that, but yeah, everyone wanted a theme and a deadline. So our drink and draws are themed and prompted and, and they're much more about what story you're telling in one picture than how beautiful your picture is. Like, Often the winners are not the best drawn, but they're so funny. <laughs> they're like, people come up with really weird shit. Yeah, we had a great Christmas one. Actually, our last one, yeah, it was last month. Do people get kind of turned off by... Mm. 
the language barrier? For drink and draw, I think yes. Like, I think it's definitely a thing. I tell them, like, we tell them that it's going to be in English. And we do translate the prompts. But, yeah, there is definitely a gap here. But I think, you know, sometimes it's... Um, it makes it even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it works out because it makes the whole atmosphere kind of exotic. And for the zine itself, we take English and we take Chinese. We take no language. Our issue six was the mute issue. The mute issue was an issue where everyone would submit something with no words. And this really opened up our identity somehow. It turned around and a lot of... Chinese artists started submitting and have been submitting until now. And now it's very much 50-50 and I'm super proud of this. We don't translate the comics. We translate the like interviews and texts and stories. We don't translate the comics. Maybe one day, but... I know that there are artists that pair with writers. Yes, also. We, we also do the caption contest where it's... I mean, my idea of it is like a speed dating between writers and illustrators. Like we make, uh, we give a quote, we give a prompt and illustrators just draw one picture and writers just write one line and then they blindly exchange. But then at some point, if people do really great stuff, we actually pair them together and, you know, hopefully they make a story for the next shaving. It has worked. Nice. We've had some babies. That's good. That's good. So it's like, you know, forced collaboration that might work out. Yeah. It's like arranged marriages. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) that's great I would like to know more about your experience with music so I know that you're a very talented musician and singer this girl picked up saxophone she was like I'm gonna play the sax my cousin is like bringing it from New Jersey which by the way uh, in New York we should start calling it Poo Jersey like Poo Dong (laughs) (laughs) And then she's like, I'm going to learn it. And I'm like, all right. And then she, like, next week was like, (laughs) I mean, no, I like, I, as I was saying, I like to try new things, but I think now I've also come to a point where I don't want to try new things. I want to get better at what I do. So music is an interesting one because I've always like, kind of like how I was, I was drawing at the beginning, you know, I was just doing it because I like it, but then illustration became my career but for music it was more like I was kind of jamming here and there I was really enjoying it and then there was this spot opened when when this um this French singer who had a band went back to France so the band was still here and there was still demand for like French swing so my friend Mark who's a guitarist was like you can try and they were so patient with me yeah they were really amazing they made me progress so so much I'm not a natural stage person. So when I started, I was not really at terms with the stage. And I was like, what am I doing here? How do I feel in this outfit? Like, what is my body doing? And what are people seeing with me in me? I'm like the female jazz singer, which is like very connotated also. Mm -hmm. It took a long time. Now I'm... It's a way of expressing myself so I can decide, you know, whatever my mood is, whatever the client is. Like, it's more like, okay, I, I take that choice. And so, so, so you sing and you play the sax to, to a believable extent. I've heard you. I like it. We, we remember that time we were in a band for like three hours. <laughs> but it's hard. I mean, just like finding it's people so for drawing. You found Mark, who's French. 
Yeah, he's from all over the place, but he's French. There's Mark, Etienne, who are both guitar players. Uh, Shengji, who, who is Shanghainese, she's an accordion player. Dope! And Owen, who is Australian, he's a bass player. So we're a quintet. It's really amazing. Like, sometimes we play, like, duo, trio, quartet, quintet. When we're quintet, it's so nice. Like, the last time we played was the 1st of January. And it was amazing because it was the 1st of January. And it was an afternoon gig in a mall because this is what happens in China. <laughs> And it was actually great. I, I don't know. I was afraid that everyone was going to be hangover. Well, mm-hmm. Etienne was hangover. That was, we knew it was going to happen. He was just <laughs> so horny. <laughs> he was just like making all these sexual jokes. It was so, and it was like family day, obviously, in the mall, you know. <laughs> it was a great gig. And when the energy can be like that, it's great. And it's all about like um, confidence also. Like at some point as a lead singer, I also have to just trust them and trust myself. What has been the hardest thing to maybe communicate musically? Well, musically, honestly, it's amazing because they are so talented. So no problem with that. But some of the songs I wish they could understand because they're so funny in French. (laughs) Like my friend, so my friend Etienne wrote a song about, it's kind of like related to the Me Too movement, but so it's called Non d'une pipe, which in French means like, damn it. But it also means it has blowjob in it (laughs) well it's like a pipe so in french a pipe can mean a pipe or a (laughs) blowjob so it's like an amazing song and like we're gonna play it but it's so sad that owen and shangji can't fully get it (laughs) but hopefully maybe we can get a chinese translation who knows (laughs) that's awesome and so you also do swing from time to time you meet a lot of nerds in those in those spaces you have the comic nerds you have the musician nerds and now you have the swing nerds oh yeah which in shanghai are pretty nerdy crowd i think around the world like swing dancers are pretty quirky yeah i i i'm all about quirky and goofy like this is this is the only way for me life is livable Um, but I mean, the, the swing dance and the swing music for me are like related. We play for the swing dancers so I can also dance for like for free, you know, I can get into (laughs) swing night for free. um, You pay your way by, you know, providing some of the music. Yeah, That's beautiful. That's the way it should be. You know, it is called the gig economy, right? (laughs) Is there anything that's particular to Chinese swing dancers? Like, are they... Um, particular about the personal space and like you know intimate contact I mean swing is not really a body-to-body thing but like also you... it's just so goofy it's yeah. never gonna get sexy <laughs> it's gonna get amazingly like the connection is amazing but like that's what I that's what I love about swing and I think that's what a lot of people like about swing is like I think dance is amazing, but you go to a fucking bachata class and you're like, oh no, what is this? There's there's two dude, there's one dude for every five women. And- All of them have a boner. <laughs> That's just so bad, you know. I hate it. I hate it so much. And all the girls are like, huh? Like, I don't know. There's it's both ways, really. It's both ways. But yeah, I mean, all dance communities have their rules, you know, they oh, they actually usually write it like in swing. What I really don't like is because there's a lot of like kind of throwing around and like really like a concentric force. When the when some of the dancers are drunk, it's just dangerous. you know. <laughs> so that's bad. But in terms of like China, China, I think China and dance is interesting because 
China and learning is interesting and China and learning can happen so fast over videos, even for something like as intricate as dance. So you start a course with some dancers who are like zero basic level and you see them two months later and you're like, what the hell happened? And they're like on the dance floor, just like killing it. They, they really do learn fast when they are into something. I think you know that about Chinese. I really admire that that mindset of you put yourself to something. So I left Shanghai two years ago and I've heard it's changed a lot. Can you tell me what it's like now? There's cameras everywhere. There's cameras everywhere. So I'm jaywalking as much as I can because right <laughs> now I'm not yet getting fined directly over WeChat, but this is going to happen. Wow. Um, and yes, there is a, like, there's, you, you, you just can't be lawless anymore. You know, you, you have to respond for your legal status. Like you can't work on a tourist visa anymore. You can't work on, everyone was doing it before. Like, yep. Yeah. Like even, you know, <laughs> working kind of like on a business visa, but like forever, mm -hmm. like going in and out, Hong Kong trips. Uh, so these things, yeah, you, I mean, I, this year actually I registered a company because I was, I wanted to be lawfully, um, freelancing. Uh, so at least I have a company and I'm paying tax for it. So I'm very happy to do that. I'm very, and I can make my own papiers. <laughs> yes. Um, it, I mean, China has never been a great country for drugs, but now it's just literally impossible. They last, I think it was during this summer. It was just crazy. Like everybody just everybody everybody was busted yeah so gone busted a lot of them gone busted and some of them just like busted for like a week and then yeah and then leaving like by themselves you know <laughs> and businesses closing yeah yeah there's i mean I, i think that happens all the time in china though like there's always like things opening things closing But people leaving, yeah, it's definitely like you, you, you know, you feel it. You, you feel it because also it's like so sudden. And I mean, I don't know. I, maybe it's also part of being a foreign or <laughs> being in that kind of uncertainty of like, I live in a place where I can't fully call it home. And you really don't have the right to stay. Yeah. You know, they grant you the right through your visa and your lawful yeah. existence in that country. Like, I mean, it's pretty clear China says, like, no drugs. And yet it tolerates a lot and picks and chooses when to allow things and when to um, crack down on them. So it's it's confusing and I mean, it's confusing, but it's very clear. You, yeah. They make it very clear. So if you're like, ah, oh, Tim well, they're going to explain it to you. <laughs> Um, so there's a lot of bald guys in Shanghai now. <laughs> yeah, they, no, but my friends, yeah, he, he got, they, they took his hair twice, but like so bad. They even did it in Arkham in the club. They literally like cut everybody's hair. Like they turned off the lights of during the show, during a music show. And then they cut everybody's hair. Like this is how violent, I mean, this is pretty violent. I think like, I think it's pretty aggressive to do that. It's feels very much like an aggression you know so yeah some people have like their hair is just so messed up that they have to shave it it's <laughs> crazy yeah they were shaving them in the dark oh, <laughs> oh my god we're, we're behind all this it's all the conspiration <laughs> 
what do you see your future being in China or with China? <laughs> Tell me. And forever, like we're talking until you die or China dies, until one of you dies. Well, until two weeks ago, I was like, this place is so great and I'm going to bring my partner here and we're going to have a great life for kind of ride this wave of great potential in terms of economy and creativity. But now, now, <laughs> now I have turned around completely in the other direction because I feel like it might be a place that, I mean, I'm I'm talking only about near future. I have no idea, but that it might, there might be a lot of, and like, not only uncertainty, but mistrust from the rest of the world and markets. I will probably, I mean, I will go back for sure. I mean, my cat's there. <laughs> I have to go back and then I will probably move away. It's just so much uncertainty right now. It's like, I'll see. I, I really can't say. It's okay. That's like kind of what this is about. Yeah, it's weird looking at it from here. Like the sources I see from like China and America and France and the like minimizing ones or the panicky ones there's just so much and it's very hard to draw an accurate picture but also what I think is fascinating is that no one knows what's going to happen and even in like my industry of like you know consulting I was talking about it with my boss like we don't know what's going to happen and this is going to have a huge impact on the whole world because i mean shutting down the whole country like this for i mean really at the end it's going to be probably more than a month and in the world like now it's just going to be huge but i'm kind of excited about it like it's kind of like in france you know we had these huge protests so we we have a lot of them but this year it was about like all the railway and the subway shut down So people stopped going out, people stopped eating out, people stayed in their neighborhoods, people shared cars, people worked remotely. All these things that, you know, you would never have thought of it happening that way. You were like, oh yeah, one day it's going to happen, but like, this is the way it happened. And this is kind of the same, like, maybe it's actually going to have a huge impact on the world economy or like the world, like work market. And like, it's going to actually initiate migrations And we would never have thought it would happen this way. I mean, I wouldn't have, <clears throat> and I especially wouldn't have thought it would initiate my migration. You know, I, I've been trying to leave China for like almost 10 years. <laughs> I was supposed to stay for a year and it took me nine years and a virus. <laughs> I want to say many thanks to our guest Zoe and wish her all the quirkiness she can handle. Check out foreign-or.com to learn more about Sophie and her many endeavors. Subscribe to our newsletter to get more stories from foreigners. Get connected on our forum and wherever you are, whatever you are. It doesn't really matter because nobody will ever understand. Except for us. We get you. Que plus c'est long, que plus c'est bon, que plus c'est mûr, que plus ça dure et que le vrai se re.